welcome to Conservation Chronicles. This is Mariana, uh, back from the dead. <laughs> here, with my, <laughs> here with my co-host Jonah. How's it going, Jonah? Back from the dead for the third time. I know. <laughs> for however many. I know, right? Um, uh, yeah, so uh, what's new with you, Jonah? Um, back in Texas, back in school, um... Teaching statistics, mm. or te- rather teaching R. Oh, teaching R, really? Oh. Yeah, because wow, cool. I'm teaching the statistics lab, which is yeah, all yeah. R oh, cool. based. Yeah. Um, for now, it's cool, yeah. yeah when yeah. they start asking questions, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. it's fine. Cool. Um, yeah. yeah, so just back to that old grind, and yep. it's... A hundred degrees, over a hundred degrees here every day. So gross. Yeah. Don't really do much else. Yeah. The heat refuses to break here too. And it's just, it's gotten ridiculous. It's just disgusting. Um, but yeah, nothing. Oh, uh, I did want to thank Camden for filling in for me. Um, and thank you for, you know, taking the reins. Well, I'm just (laughs) so absent. I'm sorry, everybody. No, no, it's fine. Um, but yeah, so yeah, um, uh, nothing much new here. I don't have any updates on prairie dogs or anything. I did get a prairie dog tattoo. That's my only prairie dog update. <laughs> <laughs> and it's massive. It is massive. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll post a picture of it. I thought it was going to be like a little, like one of those little, I know it's everybody's like paw print kind of, it's, it's like life, your full arm. It's life size. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So anyway, I no. just. No. Until you said that you're going to get a tattoo, I would have never thought that you were a tattoo person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yep. then when you told me, I was like, yeah, I could see her with a full sleeve, honestly. Yep, that's <laughs> that's the plan eventually, yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, so now I can have a prairie dog with me at all times since all my prairie dogs are dying. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, so um, – Today, we're, yeah, we've got some news topics to cover. We haven't done news in a while, um, and we're getting back to it because, you know, there's just lots of news to cover. So, Jonah, you want to get started on the news? Yeah, and we're we're just giving, I'm just giving up on the thing that I kind of sort of last season with, like, the whole short news episodes because. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, um, yeah. And it's just easier to put them in a regular episode. So we just, in our biweekly episodes, um, yeah, so just run through these quickly because some of them are interesting and relevant to things we've talked about before. So, um, some recent surveys done in the Eastern Philippines on Hamanhan Island have found the critically endangered and endemic Philippine cockatoo, which has an estimated population of between 650 and 1,120. And this is pretty significant because open pit chromite and nickel mining has been ongoing on the island for decades. And so the discovery of the cockatoo plus some other endangered species like the Visayan Tarictic, Tarictic hornbill oh. and the golden cap fruit bat um, may help put the mining to an end, Ooh. which the locals are excited about because they've generally not been in favor and they've actually been opposed to the mining for many decades. So, now that they found the cockatoo in particular there, the regional environmental agency has recommended that the entire island be designated critical habitat, 
which in the Philippines means that um, there has to be some local authority for the habitat to be managed by the local people and enforced locally. So the process of going about this may take a couple years just because some sort of local authority and management plan has to be organized. Um, but anyways, it's kind of a, it's an encouraging outlook and it's a nice, um, some good news instead of all the bad news. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Awesome. Um, which it all, they also found a bunch of other like endemic wildlife and like, I really, I don't really know anything about wildlife in that part of the world, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I know we've talked about the Philippine eagle before mm-hmm. that we should definitely do an endangered species episode on, but there's so many interesting endemics there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know much about it either. And it, the Philippines would be an interesting topic to cover as well. Cause you know, they have political strife and that always affects wildlife um, incredibly so. So that, yeah, I don't know much about Philippines either. Um, okay, moving on. Um, in the next two years, California is going to start construction on the the world's biggest wildlife overpass, which is going to be in downtown Los Angeles, which this development is sort of, first of all, this is going to cost $87 million, <laughs> <laughs> um, which it was mostly, is mostly being funded by private donations. Interestingly oh. enough, it's a lot of money. Um, but this development is sort of followed by research is actually not followed by, but driven by findings from research on the, the cougar, the mountain lion population in the region, which has been cut off by major highways, particularly highway one Oh one. And it's affected genetic diversity and led to a lot of inbreeding. So this giant overpass over over Highway 101 is going to sort of <clears throat> literally create a bridge for the cougar population plus, you know, bobcats and a lot of other wildlife. That's really cool. I was just in Los Angeles for the first time last week, and it is full of people. Like, I mean, like, I knew that, <laughs> but, like... <laughs> that's putting it lightly. <laughs> yeah, that's putting it lightly. There are so many people, and... <clears throat> excuse me but when i when i was flying over it i mean you know I, I just i didn't expect all the the you know uh the wild mountain you know habitat like of, of course i should have because i've read about los angeles and its habitats but you know when when you see it it's pretty incredible um so yeah i'd be interested to see that yeah. um that overpass that's really cool yeah um yeah, that's exciting. Um, okay, um, in CITES-related news, just at the end of August, CITES held its 18th Conference of the Parties, and they adopted several new proposals that were supported by um, the United States, including a prohibition of commercial exports of saiga horn from native mm-hmm. rain states, which is relevant because we just had an episode on saiga. Yeah. So that's good given the how poorly those populations are doing um, generally. Um, The proposals that were adopted also included tightening restrictions on the harvest of tokay geckos, which are common pet animals, and so they're really prone to over-harvesting in the wild. And then also a proposal that was accepted or adopted now requires permits for the importation of giraffes. Um, I think that 
it wasn't very clear when I was reading it, but I think that means like importation of giraffes into any party countries. Um, so it requires permits for importation of giraffes to prevent depletion of giraffes in the wild. Because even though people think like giraffes are just like, Oh, ubiquitous in Africa, they're really not doing well. Um, in fact, like just an episode on giraffes would be very interesting because talk about major range contractions in recent decades and several subspecies of giraffe are even endangered. Um, So there's a lot of giraffe are receiving a lot of conservation attention at the moment. And so this is good because for some reason, I guess people like to have giraffes. (laughs) (laughs) So they get taken from the wild. Like, (laughs) right. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. It must be Texas here in Texas, these people. (laughs) They're freaking game farms. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, moving on. Um, This is sort of a a hot topic that we're not going to talk a lot about right now because I think we're going to cover it in the near future because um, it's a big deal. So recently the Trump administration announced some major changes to the Endangered Species Act which we have talked about before, but we haven't talked about sort of the the details of it and um, what goes into listing endangered species. So these changes that they announced, the biggest one is that when deciding to list a species, it's going to allow economic interests to be considered. So the Endangered Species Act has prevented, you know, economics from being part of the equation it just has looked at the the ecological part of it but um now you know might be able to say well it's gonna it's gonna harm this company if we list it so you know we have to weigh that in the equation and so basically it's gonna in a lot of cases it's gonna favor corporations over a species that could go extinct yep that's horrendous and not entirely surprising because of what the administration has been doing to the Endangered Species Act. Just like, you know, death by a thousand cuts is what it's basically been so far. And <clears throat> I did want to, we'll definitely do an episode soon on the Endangered Species Act, but I did want to remind everybody that, you know, there is something called the Administrative Procedures Act, um, which enables us to bring the government to court over decisions that we feel are um, arbitrary, capricious, or contrary to law. Um, so I'm, you know, it's, I just want to remind people that, you know, we have the power, um, of democracy and that, you know, it's, this administration has done a a lot to give itself, you know, a lot of power over our natural resources, but, you know, we do have options and, you know, these are things that we can at least slow down if not stop entirely. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to, you know, make that little reminder that, I don't know. It, it feels very undemocratic right now because of how quickly these these changes are being, you know, are being passed. Um, but I think a lot of that is because, you know, a lot of the public doesn't understand that we have a say in this. So I don't know. I just, I just wanted to remind everybody that. Yeah. And the, the link that we'll have in the show notes about the briefly about this story um, includes some organizations that are taking the government to court because um, for exactly the reasons that you just said. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and we need to support these organizations. 
Yeah, exactly. And I mean, basically along these same lines, um, you know, there's the ongoing border wall thing, which we've talked about in the past. And so mm-hmm. we'll have a we'll have a link to the Facebook page, No Border Wall, because they are basically always posting relevant news and, and articles and stuff about um, things going on with the border wall. And so just check them out on Facebook for updates. But basically the, the latest um, is, I mean, one of the biggest things is, is the diversion of military funds for the construction wall, which was approved, that diversion of military funds. Um, you know, following this state of emergency mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> fiction, yeah. and and then I, I think even to me more disturbing than than that is that construction of the wall in Arizona is um, going on right now in places like Oregon Pipe National Monument, which is bad enough because it's a national monument just like it's going on in in South Texas. Like I've talked about before in the wildlife refuge down there, but in Oregon pipe national monument, which is in the middle of the desert, um, has lots of sensitive habitat, particularly sensitive Springs where there's threatened wildlife. They, in order to build this wall, they are boring, drilling wells, to extract water because you need water to make cement. And, you know, rather than bringing water in from somewhere else, well, we have it right here. Let's tap into it Wow! in this already water stressed environment. And so, I mean, I don't even know who knows how much water that that requires to build this wall, but in a national monument in the middle of the desert, in a sensitive habitat, they are extracting water to build this wall. And it's, one of the most disturbing things I've heard in a long time. Yeah. Um, That's insane. That's just, there's just no, I mean, you can't even make a a poor scientific argument for that. Like, even if you tried, there's just no. Yeah. It's insane. Like, and, and these are in, we know, I mean, the Southwest United States is already extremely water stressed because of, first of all, it's desert and semi desert areas where, giant cities like Phoenix don't belong. Mm-hmm. And those places are, you know, extracting huge amounts of water unsustainably. And so it's already w- super water stressed um, socially and ecologically. And then you add in this crap. Um, right. Like in a national monument, like people don't, uh, people, we really don't understand the American public, you know, we we flaunt how we are a free country, but we really don't understand that these things, these these public lands and natural resources, they belong to us as as citizens of the United States. And so it, you know, it's like a it's like a trust. Um, no one owns these things. It's a public trust, and the government is basically like the. Um, the trust manager. Mm-hmm. And so if you're thinking about these things like a, a trust, you know, legally in a trust, like a financial trust, if the person that's managing the trust manages it in irresponsibly or whatever, the trustee is the trustee, the person that receives. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So the, the person that receives the trust funds can sue the, um, the person that's managing the, the trust for managing irresponsibly or, or whatever. And basically this is like rampant in the United States, this abuse of these natural resources that belong to us. They are a public trust. And it, if, if we, you know, this isn't the trust, the, I, the trust doc, public trust doctrine isn't like a legal document. It's more of just like a, a doctrine that is just commonly accepted. Yeah. So without a, you know, we, we pretend like this is what our natural resource management system is like in the United States, but because there's not like some trust doctrine, like the government isn't held, held accountable for this. And so we really don't, um, we really don't have this public trust system like we think we do because yeah. they can get away with it legally. Yeah. It's just frustrating. Bleeped up. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And I think, uh, and it like, you can't overstate how serious this is. It, it really is, you know, a, a threat to our public lands. And I, I feel like, it, you know, right now the, we, to find wildlife news, we have to like actively search for it. And I think that's a shame. Like this should be, you know, on Good Morning America and, and stuff like that. Instead of talking about the president's tweets, we should be talking a lot more about this stuff. Um, yeah. Like why, like how come this regular wildlife news, yeah, isn't in regular news? Like it's wildlife news websites only. Right. Like exactly. so you have to go to a specific wildlife news website to find this. This isn't like mm-hmm. in the mainstream. Yeah, and in a time where the public is really worried about threats to our democracy, you know, this is a threat to our our democracy. You know, the the way they they're betraying our public trust in so many ways right now, and so I think it's really important that I just wish it was more, you know, in the forefront of the news. So, and and I, for just like a lot of listeners, it I, I well, I think in all of the issues with. The, the government going on right now, like this isn't Trump bashing because Trump is just like the poster child for this. This is like a cyst, a uh, uh, systemic, um, systemic issue. Like it doesn't have to do with like one politician. It is a broken system mm-hmm. that this issue isn't to pin on one person. Like it's not Trump's personal fault that, this system is broken. He's just contributing to it. So this isn't like Trump bashing. This is just getting people to realize that this government is supposed to be for us. And mm-hmm. yeah, anyways, yeah, this isn't a political podcast. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good caution because, you know, it, it might sometimes sound like we're getting political, but this isn't necessarily political stance. It's just a stance about, you know, the public trust. Like we want to protect the public trust because it's so important and it's such a big part of the cons- the way conservation works in our country. Um, so, you know, regardless of who exactly is in the White House right now, what we're really worried about are these, you know, government actions that are threatening our public trust, you know, regardless of politics. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And then one, this is, I mean, this is like news, but this is just really cool because I just found both these, saw both these articles this morning about, two oldest known bird records that I just wanted to say because it's really fascinating. So first was a male Kentucky warbler um, was just recaptured and he was, he's 11 years old 
In 2010, he was banded at two years old in Alabama. Um, so it's the oldest known Kentucky warbler ever recorded, which is amazing because like they're migrating thousands of miles like down into the tropics and back and forth every year. So that's pretty neat. And then the second one is the oldest recorded upland sandpiper, which is one of my favorites. Um, this bird was recently spotted in the Flint Hills of Kansas, about a mile from where it was banded as a chick in the nest in 2016. So it's 13 mm. years old. Wow. And it's it's 13 years later, it was found a mile from its where it was born. That's really cool. And upland sandpipers are amazing birds. They every year travel round trip down to like as far as Argentina down into the grasslands of South America and back up into, you know, as far as Southern Canada. And so this bird in its lifetime with this migration every year has traveled the equivalent of five times around the earth. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And to find it one mile from that's incredible. Yeah. That's so cool. So cool. So cool. Um, Anyways, okay, why don't we um, actually get to what we're talking about today? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been a while since um, you and I talked last time, but if people remember in the last episode, um, you kind of you shared your experience that you had with the PICA project. Mm-hmm. And so we thought it would just be a, a good conversation to have. I mean, this is particularly relevant to people that are doing things in the field, whether it's for work or pleasure. Um, but we wanted to talk about just taking care of yourself in the field since we've both had to learn this the hard way and it was kind of, um, relevant. And so we just want to kind of have a conversation about how to, yeah, take care of yourself in the field basically. Yeah. And it's really important, you know, what, even though we're coming at this from the perspective of field biologists, um, it, it really, what we're going to talk about applies much more broadly to whatever work you do, or just like Jonah said, if you're just out in the field, um, just enjoying the, enjoying the wilds, whether you're working or not, um, it does apply more broadly because we're going to be talking a lot about personal safety and personal health. And it's important if you do do field work, um, that you take care of yourself because, you know, it, it, out in the field, many things can happen as we've learned. Yeah. And we'll share some stories. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, whenever you're <clears throat> working in a job, I, I think it personal safety should be emphasized as the most important thing. And like, if do you remember on the bear study when we were setting um, when we would set snares mm-hmm. before you left a before you left a trap you'd say whatever the snares tight to the tree clamps are tightened or whatever yep bears safe we're safe mm-hmm. um, and so you know particularly when we're doing like wildlife research yes we are very concerned about this animal but people forget that you know you also need to be aware of your own personal safety. Yeah. And I think the first thing that a supervisor should do with new employees is emphasize that, that, you know, you matter more than the data. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I mean, I've had many supervisors that have just completely failed to address personal safety, which obviously, I mean, I think it should just be a, a duh, but when you're working in a new environment or 
doing new things. You know, you're thinking about, oh, I got to do this technique right. And I got to, you know, not look like an idiot while I'm doing it or whatever. And so you're not thinking about like how I should be taking care of myself. Yeah. You just kind of are gung ho, which is a, a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's also a poor reflection on the supervisor because they're assuming that everyone is field smart, which is not always the case in a lot of positions. So yes, our work is very important, but the work can't be done if you compromise your own health and safety. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And I've, I've said this before on the podcast and, um, but as far as your field assistants, you know, or even your teammates, you have to treat these people better than you take care of even your most expensive equipment. Um, because you know, you wouldn't abuse your most expensive equipment and you shouldn't abuse your team either. Not only is it dangerous, but it also just come, it compromises the integrity of your entire project. It compromises your data. It compromises your methods, you know? So on a practical level, if you're concerned about your data, if you're so concerned about your data that you care more about that than your people on a practical level, you know, you're compromising the integrity of that of that study. Um, and on a basic decency level, just take care of your people, just, you know, care about them, care about their health, care about their safety. No data point is more important than a human being's well being. You know, that's, you know, that's not that data isn't important. Of course, that's what they're there for, but a person's safety is more important than any data point. And so just on a basic decency level, just care about your people. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And I think a lot of people like in our field, um, are just like, it's, it's very easy to get. So, uh, what am I trying to say? Like, it's, we're all very gung ho and like, we just get so wrapped up in our work. Yeah. I mean, you, where you, to where you run yourself ragged Mm -hmm. and that's just sort of like an accepted thing. Like, you know, that's yep. just part of the job. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think that that's true. Like that's just, that's not an inevitable thing. Mm-hmm. Like people pretend it is. I'm not saying that you don't like fully invest everything in your job, but you, yeah, you, you just need to keep your own personal health and safety in mind. And I think a lot of people, we're just so like invested that we are so blind to anything else but our work. Mm -hmm. And I'm speaking from personal experience (laughs) because I mean, uh, I'm not a, some people (laughs) may consider me to be a hypochondriac at this point in my life, but I don't think I am. I think I've just had so many close calls and like personal health issues that it's, basically scared me into what I'm saying now. Like, um, and so I just want to emphasize the value of your own personal health because I mean, without your health, like, what do you, what do you have? You can't, you can't do anything. Yeah. I mean, you, I'm not saying you can't do anything, right. but no. yeah. your personal health is one of the most important things you can, you can have. And I think everyone is responsible for their own personal health and, your personal health is affected by the decisions and that you make and the actions that you do. And so it's not being a hypochondriac. It's just taking care of yourself in a yeah. responsible way. Right. Yeah. And people are, 
you know, since I've, uh, I mean, I'll talk about briefly, but since people, since I've changed my lifestyle, basically, um, people are just always so quick when I'm like on my, uh, what's soapbox, Soapbox, um, you know, talking about this and like being healthy and people like, well, if you're not going to get killed by this, you're going to get killed. It's going to be one thing or another. And it's like, well, that's such a stupid approach. Then like, why don't you just, then who cares? Like, I'm just going to go stand out in traffic. (laughs) Um, it's just such a, it's such an ignorant thing when people, people act that way. Yeah, there's um, no need to be threatened. For some reason, people are like they feel like you're insulting them when you talk about you know like being healthy or being safe, and yeah. like there's no need to react that way. Just you know, if if you don't agree, you don't agree. But you know, this is from learned experience. Everybody has their own learned experiences. So yeah, and often I'm just trying to make people like aware of things they don't aren't aware of, like just nutritionally or or whatever, mm-hmm. because you know, this whole idea of being concerned and responsible for your personal health health sort of begins with what you eat and drink. And so um, the rest of this episode is going to be a nutrition podcast. <laughs> but your, your body is like, I mean, it's, we have to remember that our body is basically this amazingly complex machine that requires fuel, especially when you're doing, exerting a bunch of energy in the field, like we normally are with our jobs. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not giving it enough fuel or you're giving it poor quality fuel, it's going to affect your body, your personal health, which is going to in turn affect your work and and the quality of whatever you're doing. Um, Or I should say it can affect Mm -hmm. um, the quality of work that you do. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's a rule. But it is a rule that if you put in poor quality fuel into your body, your body, it's going to negatively affect your body. I mean, I used to, <laughs> I mean, I used to be famous for like not going 20, 24 hours with eat, without eat or going 24 hours without eating or yeah. just like eating PB&J tortillas once a day <laughs> or maybe a granola bar. And, you know, I, I mean, I was just like this machine, um, but a, a physically a, a poorly functioning machine like on the inside and mm-hmm. now I see that it was absurd to think that that kind of food could power me to do what I did I don't know how I did it so long on the bear study and yeah um on a few other projects but it caught up with me sooner rather than later and you know when I was in Zambia I was hospitalized fortunately I was traveling to the city when all this went down but I was hospitalized um I had to pretty serious hypoglycemic incident and I almost died. And it was one of the scariest things that ever happened to me. And it scared me so bad that I completely changed my whole outlook on maintaining my personal health and nutrition. And now I'm like super into nutrition and, and food. I mean, now I'll spend like a couple hours a day making food where before my idea was like, that is such a waste of time. But it's not. I mean, it's stupid to think that that's a waste of time because think about historically like people's entire days were made up with acquiring or preparing food. And now we just want to spend 15 minutes doing it Yeah, and expect that we're going to be healthy that way. And that's not the way that our bodies are, are made and that the world should work, to be honest. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And I've learned the lesson the hard way as well. Um, A lot of times, I mean, when you look at nutrition advice or even exercise advice, which people are fixated with, like exercise advice, you know, they always have, you know, little charts on what you should be eating before, during and after like weightlifting or something like that. And that's, you know, that's for a reason, like certain foods give you certain energy. And like Jonah was saying, you know, there's, there's fuel and then there's bad fuel. You know, you can, you can fill yourself up with a bunch of like pasta the night before (laughs) of, you know, a bit, a big run or something like that. But um, you have to consider, you know, what you're going to be doing and what kind of fuel you need. Like you can't just bring a bunch of sugar with you. I mean, sugar is a, a type of fuel, but like, if that's all you eat, then, you know, that's, that's not exactly good. You need protein and, you know, just all these things. I'm not a dietitian, but um, you have to kind of think like a dietitian when you're out there and considering what kind of fuel you need. Um, you can't just stuff your face with anything. It's the, the grab and go. You know, that's what Jonah was just talking about. Um, sometimes grab and go can really backfire on you. And a lot of it, a lot of it is a lot of the stuff. I mean, it's just a the nature of our modern society, but mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff that's that is sold in grocery foods, it's non-food. Yeah. Like for me personally, if I can't pronounce it, if I don't know what that is, <laughs> I'm not going to eat it. Mm-hmm. Like the ingredients yeah. and stuff, it, it, non. Like what on earth are Cheetos? Right, like, that is not food. <laughs> that is just chemicals. Like that's yeah. not that's non-food. So I like to think of things: is this food or is this non-food? If it's food. I know it's going to be contributing to providing fuel to my body in some way. Non-food, probably going to be harming me more than doing anything good. Yeah, I think if if you had like just 10 seconds to tell somebody how to take care of themselves in the field, you would say whole foods, don't eat processed foods, basically. Um, because whole foods will give you the kind of energy you need and, and processed foods are just just that. I mean, they're processed. All that energy is gone and it's just a bunch of random ingredients that don't really help you. Um, you know, not that eating Cheetos is going to kill you, but <laughs> you know, if you have a choice between eating Cheetos and eating, I don't know, um, carrots. An, yeah. Yeah. Carrots or something, you know, you, you, you should always choose the whole food if possible, um, over the processed food, um, if ever given the choice. Um, but I, I also wanted to add, you know, we've been talking a lot about, you know, personal choices, which is, which I agree is the number one important thing. You have to be personally responsible for your health. Um, and I also wanted to add that, you know, when you're out there in the field, um, also consider each other too. Like the, the field team is responsible for each other. And so if you see that, you know, you have a teammate who isn't taking care of themselves, um, try to step in, you know, they're responsible for the health, but also you're a team. So, you know, if, if you see that somebody's, you know, energy is, is flagging or that they just don't seem healthy, uh, don't, don't just watch out for them. I think it's so important, you know, whether, whether you're with a veteran and you just have to remind them of a, a quick safety protocol or whether you're with a newbie and you, you know, you're reminding them of what foods to avoid, anything like that, just keep an eye out for each other. Um, because it's, it's like Jonah was saying, we get very fixated on what we're doing, on the task, on on the on the research, on the data, you know, we we get very fixated. So it's easy to forget to take care of ourselves, and that's why being on a team is so important. I know we don't always have the luxury because a lot of times when you're out there in the field, you're by yourself, and you know, there's lots of 
reasons for that. Um, but you know, just, just watch out for each other. When I had my emergency, my health emergency, which gladly wasn't as serious as Jonah's, but it was really serious. I mean, I, I had a really serious dehydration emergency and heat stress and it's, uh, uh, any situation can become an emergency within a matter of seconds, within a matter of minutes. And, and if I had been, if I had stayed out in the field, um, longer than I had, it, it would have gotten even more serious. And, and I know I, I, I talked about this before, but for anybody who didn't hear about what happened to me, you know, I was, I didn't have enough water. I was out in the field in the heat in New Mexico. So, you know, uh, it's a very dry environment, um, for, you know, up almost 12 hours it was. And I only had three liters of water because we were supposed to take a break in the middle of the day and we didn't. And, you know, that was partly because I had a very neglectful supervisor, but also partly because, uh, there was a lack of sort of team communication. And I'll talk a little bit more about communication later, but, it's important just to watch out for each other. If you see somebody doing something stupid, I mean, if all they're eating is Cheetos, like, or something super salty, you know, just, you know, step in and be like, hey, you know, I've got an apple, you know, why don't you have an apple or something like that? Just simple things that you can help your team if they're not taking care of themselves, because, you know, you're responsible for each other out there too. And if something happens, you know, you're, you're, you know, you don't want anything to happen under your watch. Um, so I think it's, um, you know, you mentioned your neglectful supervisor. And so we're talking about, you know, sort of these, these different levels of responsibility for your health. So you're responsible for your health, your teammates, but in this in your case, like that supervisor was responsible for your health yeah. because not only like, are they, you know, have to manage this, this emergency, but they are one of the reasons that you had this emergency because they didn't communicate and they just ran you ragged like that. And, you know, it wasn't the way the day was supposed to go. And so the supervisor is all is, I mean, they are responsible for their, their crew, right? You know, they're responsible for the work that their crew is doing and responsible for their, you know, the persons of their crew, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I was not prepared for for the day the way it, the way it turned out. I mean, everything in his methodology and everything he told us was, you know, we're going to take a break in the middle of the day. So, of course, I'm not going to bring, you know, seven liters of water with me that I have to carry. That's a lot of weight if I can leave the midday um, resources in the car. Like, okay, we're going to take a break in the middle of the day. I'm going to go refill my water and my food in the middle of the day. That never happened. So, yeah, if if you're neglectful of your team, you know, bad things are going to happen. I, I had a real emergency. I I had to pull out of the project entirely because it, it affected my body so much. I was down for the count for like four, five days. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, a lot of that was communi- a lack of communication and I was going to talk about this later, but I'll, I'll go ahead and start and talk about communication now because um, it's really important. You know, communication goes both ways, obviously. And in this particular experience that I had, you know, we had separated, but of course we had our radios and, you know, my supervisor knew I wasn't doing very well around, you know, two or 3 PM uh, because we were telling him like, 
you know, I wasn't doing very well and he wasn't there to see it, but he knew like that I, I wasn't doing very well, but still he kept pushing and pushing and pushing us. And I could have been more assertive. That's another thing. Like don't let your insecurities keep you from asserting yourself when it comes to your own safety. You know, it's one thing like, uh, you know, you should defer to your supervisor in terms of things like methodology and plans and schedules, that kind of thing. But when it comes to your own safety, do not be insecure about that. Because a lot of, you know, even though my supervisor knew I wasn't doing well, I, I definitely should have stressed more how poorly I was doing. Um, so, and I didn't because I, I didn't want to be a disappointment. You know, I didn't want to be, you know, there's, there's a point of pride. Like I, I was the weakest link in the team that day. And that killed me like that, just like that totally killed my pride and my morale to be the weakest link. And I didn't want to admit it, but just, you know, it would, it would have been good for me just to, to admit that to myself and admit that to the team and just be like, you know what, I need to, I need to leave now. No, I'm I'm holding myself back. I'm holding you guys back, and my health is declining by the minute. So I need to leave now. So don't let your insecurity about um, just don't let your insecurity compromise your own health because that's what happened to me as well. It was a neglectful supervisor, but it was also my own insecurities about being a burden. Um, you know, I that really affected my de- my decisions that day as well. And um, like I said earlier about taking care of your team, I had really good teammates. My my supervisor was super neglectful, but the two my two teammates, the field assist, other field assistants I was working with, they got me out of the canyon that day. If without them, I wouldn't have made it out of the canyon. And so, you know, it's I, w- I was glad to have had them, and that was a good example of you know teammates watching out for each other, even with a neglectful supervisor. Um, they helped me. They they carried my pack for me. They gave me their water, even though even they were running out of water. Like that was just really good of them. So, yeah, yeah. I th- I think anyone who spends any amount of time in the field, particularly in our career and in other careers as well, you know, you know that you have to make judgment calls sometimes in certain situations. Um, some of which may be risky depending on, you know, the certain circumstance. And, you know, hopefully you didn't put yourself in a situation that's life-threatening. Um, but, you know, the more experience you have, the more I think the, the better you're going to be able, the better judgment you're going to have, which is just yeah. applies to everything. Um and so, like, one example that I think we talked about in our lifelong learning episode last season was, like, getting stuck in the mud or in the snow or the water or whatever, which is, I mean, it's just inevitable. It happens all the mm-hmm. time. But, you know, <laughs> I've probably been had vehicles stuck in the mud or the snow, like, probably near a hundred times at this point (laughs) in my life at this young age, a hundred times at least already. Um, that's just because of the nature of the places I've worked, but yeah, you know, the, the, as that number has grown, like I learned to take less risks in that situation. Mm -hmm. Um, and so obviously you can't avoid driving, you know, questionable roads sometimes because we're in the field, like there's mud and snow and stuff. But 
I've just realized one to avoid headaches, not physical headaches, but just like it's so annoying getting stuck, you know, and frustrating. Just if you don't have to, if it's unnecessary to proceed, then don't like don't take the risk because in some cases it could be dangerous. Um, whether you're, you know, you don't have communication. Not that, that that in and of itself is dangerous, but if you don't have food and you don't have water, you know, this is very, you know, the situation, it's dependent on the situation. But, you know, it, just don't take risks if you don't have to mm-hmm. is basically what I'm trying to say and using the getting stuck as an example. Um, and, I mean, I've had a few where I didn't feel like my life was endangered, but... You know, ever since I had that scare in Zambia, like I always make sure I have food and, and things like that. And I, so I plan, like if I know I'm going to be out this long, I have this much food. And um, a few times when I've been stuck, like in North Dakota or in Wyoming, rather, um, I only had like one. I mean, I tend to overreact because I'm like, I only have one more thing of food I'm gonna die out here but I just said I'm just very nervous about it because I almost died from not having food and so you know that's just that's just a silly example but um you just need to think about these things like if you do get stuck are you prepared one to get yourself unstuck Mm -hmm. which if you are prepared to get yourself unstuck then it's not really an issue but when you get stuck like in a bad situation um how are you going to deal with it and always those I mean not always but most of the time after we've got stuck it's like gosh darn it I could have avoided this by either turning around or going around here but I just wanted to like gun gun it yeah because (laughs) I didn't want to spend an extra 10 seconds driving around it or something like that and which is silly and I mean hindsight is 2020 right yeah um and so when working with wildlife or in wildlife, you know, using your judgment is, is important. And, you know, in other situations, it could be important in avoiding personal injury, particularly if you're working with dangerous animals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, often our egos or like this adventurous desire, I don't know how else to put it, yeah. can cloud our judgment, which I'm definitely guilty of. You know, a a lot of people in our field have this tendency towards, like, adventure and, like, fun, crazy things. Um, But I think it's important to remember that if you're injured or dead, then you you can't have an adventure. You can't have fun. Um, And you can't do the work that you're there for. And so, yeah, I mean, just... You know, talking about working with dangerous animals, obviously there's always protocols in place to avoid this. But again, like just this gung-ho kind of attitude can take over. And I mean, I just when we were in Zambia and capturing saddlebills, you know, I saw what these birds could do in the zoo. And, you know, I heard all these horror stories. And so I knew that before we like even tried to grab hold of this bird, we need to put a net over it. And my colleague was like, oh, no, we'll just, we'll just grab it. And, and I just said, that's a, no, that's a bad idea. I mean, these things have knife kitchen bills as sharp as kitchen knives. And what did he do? He went in and grabbed it and 
he got stabbed a couple times pretty bad. Yeah. And, you know, it could have been a lot worse, like, in the eye, like zookeepers have gotten a few times. Man. And it's just that's com- something that's completely avoidable right. because not only because it was something that I said, but it's just sort of like, oh, we're just going to cowboy it, which there's people in the wildlife field. There's just a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And if it goes, you know, if it doesn't go wrong, it's sort of like a fun story. And like, yeah, I wrestled this. But oftentimes it goes wrong and you look stupid and you realize that this could be avoided. And unfortunately, people just can't think clearly in this regard because this, like, desire to tell a story or whatever um, clouds their judgment. And gosh, I can just think of so many stupid things that <laughs> I've done, like swinging Indiana Jones style from this root off a cliff when I was like on this mountain in the Mojave when I was tracking bighorns. Super cool story now. Right. But like if that thing snapped, I would have like tumbled down this cliff and just so many stupid things that you you learn and thankfully that I didn't learn the hard way, but just as you gain experience, you're like, wow, that was really stupid. And you learn to take risks less. Mm-hmm. And not at the expense of enjoying yourself and having fun. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I've done pretty stupid things too um, in the name of, you know, either getting somewhere faster or just <laughs> <laughs> like getting somewhere faster or just like just being plain careless. Like, oh, this is fine. Like, I'll just, you know, I'll go down this embankment or whatever. And, you know, I've, I've fallen down an embankment once on a – Trapping turtles. I mean, you wouldn't think there's any danger in tra- <laughs> trapping turtles. <laughs> but I fell down like a 10-foot embankment. And yeah, so yeah, you can you can make any situation dangerous when you're being careless. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's a good point to make. Um, my, my boss, uh, my PI, John, um, in my prairie dog work, John Hoagland, who's really awesome, he, he would say, you know, if I, I remember my first year with him, um, the first time I handled a prairie dog, he he said, if you get bit, it means you aren't doing it right, basically. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is true, you know, basically in, in any handling situation, it, whether it's a prairie dog or a bear, if that animal injures you, it means you've done something wrong um, in the handling process. If that animal, you know... Uh, touches you or well I shouldn't say touches you because you're touching the animal but you know what I mean you know if, if you get injured at all even if it's just a little prairie dog bite or if you know if or if you get clawed by a bear it means at some point you did something careless um yeah. so and that not only puts you in danger but the animal as well and your teammates too like it could put your teammates in danger I mean nobody's in danger if a prairie dog slips out of a, <laughs> a <laughs> <handling Run! cone. laughs> But, you know, if, if a bear slips out of its, you know, foothold, you know, that's a whole nother thing. But you have to consider that with, with whatever you're doing and whatever animal you're, you're handling. You have to, you know, consider that if somebody gets hurt, it means you've done something wrong at some point during the process. Um, so you always have to be prepared for that. Um, and that's the reason these, the, these protocols are in place. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's, that's exactly why these protocols are in place for your safety and for the animal's safety. And it's so easy to be like, Oh yeah, yeah. Well, but I've done this before, or this is how I've done it somewhere else. And, um, yeah. Um, 
that's just cockiness and carelessness. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's important to keep in mind. I, I, well, I was actually out here in New Mexico while I was doing the Peridar project, um, there was another researcher, well, a student, a grad student who was doing bear study, uh, a bear study out here in like the same area. Um, and she had, and of course this is secondhand, but I heard it from multiple people that she had been handling the bears by herself. And that's just not okay. (laughs) Like that is not okay. She was basically cowboying it, um, saying that like she knew what she was doing and she had it, she had it handled. That's not okay for the bear. And that's not okay for her. Like anything could happen. You you just, you don't handle bears by yourself. I mean, I've, I handle paradogs by myself, but that's a whole nother creature. (laughs) Like that's (laughs) different. Like, you know, certain animals, like a bear, you do not handle a bear by yourself because that puts everybody in danger and puts the bear in danger. And so like, yeah, so it's, you know, you have to consider that, um, you know, don't put your ego in front of your safety or the animal's safety. So, yeah. And yeah, I remember when you told me that it's like, so mm-hmm. shocking. I'm and shocked. I really, I can't believe that that's even, I mean, that's, that's definitely not what's in the protocol. Uh-huh. That may be what's happening, but that is not what is in the protocol. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably like prohibited in the protocol. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I really want to, we need to do, uh, an episode on, and I'm saying this so that it will happen because if we say it off air, it might not happen, (laughs) but now people have to hold us accountable. I really want to do an episode on, um, like research ethics, because that's an example of something that I am just seeing and hearing and have experienced far too often where these things that, and we're not, I mean, that's, that's not like some trivial thing. Like, no, that's a, that's a big deal. That's a, that's a bad idea. And was it a graduate student? I'm just curious. Yeah, it was a graduate student. These issues with safety of animals and personnel are systemic with graduate students. They really are. Yep. And I have a lot of stories and a lot of people that would <laughs> line up to share their stories about this kind of crap. Mm-hmm. And of course it's on these students, but it's on their advisors and these institutions as well. I mean, that's why there's these institutional animal care and use committees. Yeah. And it, no one, and so many people don't follow this stuff Mm -hmm. and it leads to animals dying and people getting hurt and the carelessness is just so disturbing and it, and people don't, it's overlooked because, you know, these faculty are just trying to pump out graduate students. And I mean, it's, it's ultimately an issue in, with academia at large and I just am so sickened by academia at the moment but that's I'm not so I knew that it was a graduate student because that kind of thing is I'm just hearing too many stories like that about graduate students absolutely yeah a professional would never do that absolutely not like never yeah um and and as I and as I already said like if nothing goes wrong, then it's going to be like, oh, just kind of laugh it off later. Like, I can't believe I was handling bears by myself. Right. But when something does go wrong, 
Mm-hmm. There's going to be regrets, yeah. to say the least. Yeah, exactly. And there's some decisions that are like just worse than others. You know, it's it's one thing to like, you know, try to go down an embankment you shouldn't be going down, and then it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then it's another thing to be handling bears alone. Yeah, um, chemically immobile, and all these issues uh, all that I'm talking about always revolve around chemically immobilizing and handling some wild animal. Yeah. Yep. Because there's just way too much carelessness with that something, that thing that should not be taken lightly. Oh yeah, absolutely. It should be by the book, always by yeah. the book. Um, yeah. So going back to taking your st- care of yourself in the field, um, I, I also wanted to make a point about being prepared and Joan already kind of touched on this already about, you know, bringing enough food and one of my biggest quandaries when I'm preparing for field work is balancing my equipment versus the added weight of the equipment, especially emergency items. And some things I, I never go out into the field without, including like my first aid kit um, and enough water, um, things like that. And But other things will depend on context, where you are and what you're doing. If you're doing work like what I typically do, which is sitting in an observation tower, you know, 20 minutes from a ranger or 20 meters from a ranger station, you're not going to need, you know, a water purifier or, <laughs> or like uh, fire starters. Uh, but if you're hiking, you know, many, many miles from your car and you're going to be backpacking and camping out, you do need that stuff. So you have to consider what you need to bring, um, depending on what you're going to be doing. You know, a satellite phone, for example, um, you need if you're, if you're going to go out camping. Um, for your work. So coming prepared, I think is also part of, part of taking care of yourself. And a lot of people will, will sacrifice emergency items because of weight. And I know that's a you know tough decision to make, especially when you're hiking and backpacking. Um, but just don't, don't sacrifice emergency items because of weight. And of course, of course, it also depends on, you know, what you can afford to bring out with you, which is a whole another topic in and of itself is, you know, Uh, funding a project or, you know, finding your supplies. (laughs) And of course, you know, and that's where, that's a lot of where a supervisor will step in um, because, you know, field assistants do not make much money, if any at all, in some seasons. Um, (laughs) So, you know, you can't exactly afford a satellite phone, for example. That's something, you know, that needs to be provided for you. But it's certainly, you know, if you're going out there and you're going to be out in the wild, definitely make a list of things you're going to need um, Anything that you would think, okay, in an emergency situation, I would need this, bring it with you no matter what. You know, even if you're only camp- camping out for one night, bring it with you um, uh, because you could be, you know, we, we talked about nutrition. You can be in the best health of your life, um, but, you know, if, if, if you've broken your leg, it doesn't, you know, doesn't matter what kind of good health you're in. Except for the fact, I suppose somebody in good health could crawl themselves out of. <laughs> but, <laughs> good thing I've been doing all these pull-ups, and I could just use my upper body strength to go out yeah. ten miles, <laughs> exactly. walk on my hands. Right, right, yeah. But um, yes, so a lot of times, you know, coming prepared is is part of also taking care of yourself. Just making sure that you have the right equipment and um, making sure that you're prepared for any surprises, any and all surprises. You know, w- working with kids has has really cemented this with me a lot too, because, you know, when I'm, when I'm out, even on like a, a, a two hour hike with kids, I'm always, I, I check their bag before we leave. You know, do you have your poncho? Do you have, you know, extra socks or, you know, do you have this or do you have that? And it just kind of keeps it fresh in my mind to check myself too, 
when I'm going out in the field. Yeah, because you'll always you'll always regret neglecting to bring something when an emergency arises. Exactly. Yep, exactly. Even if it's something you have in your pack that you haven't used in 10 years, an emergency might arise where you're going to need it. Um, yep. Like fire starter, you know, oh, I've never had to use this. And, and then, you know, 10 years into your career, you might have one night where yeah. you've you've messed up and not not gotten back to your car in time or something like that. And all of a sudden that fire starter that's been collecting dust in the bottom of your bag is going to save your life. So, And you have to burn the data sheets to <laughs> dry yourself from the rain. Personal experience. <laughs> oh, my God. See, that would be like a, a huge dilemma for me. Like, oh, my God, do I... This data that I work so hard for, do I burn it to stay alive? Well, I, I don't. I don't mean filled out data sheets. I mean like oh yeah yeah the no, ones that, in the clipboard. Fortunately, yeah yeah yeah. Can you imagine was... having to make that decision though? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, my phone isn't dead, so I could take pictures of it. Yeah yeah, screen caps. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. That's when it does. Do I matter more than the data? No. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That story, I won't give the full details of it because, again, it was avoidable. Uh-huh. And that's all of these situa- all these bad situations generally that I've experienced are avoidable. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, fortunately, we were with the car. This was in Zambia. And flash flooding, and it was just crazy rain and the mud there so bad. And, and then the vehicle broke down, and we had to spend the night out there. And... We weren't prepared because like, oh, we were just going to go out for a couple hours. And so we were soaked. Yeah. And we didn't have sleeping bags. We didn't have anything. I mean, we had the tarp that goes over this open vehicle, Mm -hmm. um, open Land Rover. And, you know, we were like, I'm serious. We thankfully we had like a can of diesel, but we used the diesel to burn data sheets and plastic bottles so that we could dry our clothes. We're all standing there in our underwear, oh my God. drying our clothes. And then we just had to sleep like on the hardwood in the vehicle, like in our wet underwear without any blankets. Like it, wow. And like and it was just completely avoidable. Right, right. Um, yeah. And from from that point on, like you bet, even if we thought we're going out for a couple hours, we had everything we needed to, to survive for five days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a good example. And another another example I wanted. I mean, this doesn't have to do with taking care of yourself, but it just generally has to do with being prepared for, for anything. And I, I mean, it's what you said is just so, I just love it. You know, if you haven't used it in 10 years, there's going to be that one time. And, you know, I always would keep, um, like duct tape around my Nalgene, like Mm -hmm. you maybe see people do often. And like, sometimes it was annoying because like when it was hot, the edges would get sticky and stuff. And I always wanted to take it off, but I didn't. And when I was in the Mojave, my partner and I were like in the most rugged mountains out there. We did this like expedition, multi-day expedition into these mountains to retrieve a collar of a dead ram in the middle of them. And like, there's no trails. Like it is, it's a crazy, crazy mountain. So we're just like bushwhacking, like going off trail. And, um, first of all, my supervisor, Daniela on that project, that was one of my favorite projects I've ever worked on. And she's like one of my best friends. She was like the best supervisor in this regard and many other regards where she was always not like concerned, like, you know, worry war about our safety, but 
when you're in an, a harsh environment like that, like she wants to make sure we're always prepared. So we're going on this multi-day trip and she was really involved in helping us plan it. And like we had these satellite phone things where we where we were communicating with her every couple hours where so she could know where we were and make sure we were okay. And like it just, she did everything right. And, you know, planning like this is how much water we have and, you know, you need to leave a buffer and... So anyways, back to the tape, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're working in the desert and you're, sh- it's just so hot. And my shoes were like melting for a while, Wow! <laughs> like in that job. And because it's just so hot, but they split open and the soles just came off. At that. Oh my God. And if I did not have that tape, I don't know what I would have done Yeah, because I was seven miles doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're in like. I don't even know how to describe it. The granite mountains there. They're just, that's the name of the mountain range. Insane. And it was so difficult hiking. If I didn't have that tape, like, I I don't know. I honestly don't know what plan I would have made. And so I was able to tape, you know, my shoe together with that tape. And it's the only time I've ever had to use that tape. Wow. Yep. But I was so thankful that I had it on there because I would have been SOL without it. Yep. And so little things like that. Um, really change the way you proceed in work like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good example. Yeah. Keeping duct tape. Yep. And it doesn't add any weight either. Like, you know, yeah. yeah. So that, yeah, that's a good yeah. example. And yeah. And you could be, I mean, all is something else that just comes with experience in situations like that or, you know, trivial, more trivial ones that aren't emergency situations, but you can you can learn to be creative and like this could be used for this and this mm-hmm. and so you can lighten your load by having something that could be used in multiple situations um, that comes with experience or just understanding you know the potential hazards that you're going to encounter and stuff like that yeah so that's all just part of being prepared like physically and then also just anticipating hazards I guess yeah yeah it's a good example yeah. Um, there was one last point I wanted to make before we, um, finish up, which is there was something you said earlier in the recording about, you know, uh, not making, not sacrificing your health. And it really st- stuck with me is one thing I wanted to, to point out, which uh, anybody who's in a conservation career knows this, who works with wildlife knows this. Um, there are a lot of sacrifices you make in this, in this career, in this vocation, um, because it's, you know, it's more than just a job. You sacrifice a lot of time, you sacrifice your relationships, you sacrifice holidays, you sacrifice your finances. I mean, you're basically making a lot of sacrifices for this, for this vocation. Um, so that's, you know, that's inherent with the job. Um, but like Jonah alluded to earlier, sacrificing your health is not inherent with the job. You know, it's, you get used to making sacrifices. So you really do in, in this kind of work, you really do have to stay on top of yourself and, you know, not get into that, you know, sacrificial mode, or it's just like everything for the, everything for the study, everything for the, for the data, um, you know, everything else, you know, whatever other sacrifices you're making in your life, that's, you know, that's, that happens. Um, but your own health and your own well-being and your own safety is the one sacrifice you should never have to make for this job. 
um, or for whatever study you're study you're on or, you know, yeah. So just keep that in mind because it's easy to forget that when you're out there in the field, um, getting important, important data. Yeah, that's an excellent, excellent point. Um, so I think today's sustainability tip is is relevant to um, our, our topic that we talked about, but also just like our general um, or my general anti-plastic um, propaganda. Um, <laughs> I read this. I read this in a newspaper when I was in San Diego, and my grandma like ripped out the page that I wanted, and so because I was going to save it and like hang it on the wall. But I didn't. Anyways, it was just like a little blurb in like the health section. And it was from some nutritionist that said, if your great, great grandmother wouldn't recognize it as food, don't eat it. Mm -hmm, That's great. And I will, I mean, I read that once and it is just like stuck in my mind because it is such a profound statement and so relevant to what we're talking, what we were just talking about with taking care of yourself, like how I was talking about food versus Mm non-food. And, you know, I said it to this one kid when I, w- I was reading the newspaper and this one kid was right there and he had like, um, I mean, this is just a silly example, but he had like that Nes- Nestle or Nes- Nesquik chocolate powder, like for making <laughs> chocolate milk. And so I said to him, I was like, what do you think your great, great grandmother would think that is? And he's like, she'd probably think it was dirt. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. Like all these things that are just so common to us, all these foods, like they're like I said, they're non foods, yeah. and so just just think about that. If your great great grandmother wouldn't recognize as food, don't eat it. Yeah, and I'll leave it at that. And I think this is you know just talking about sustainability. This is a good point because if you take this approach, it helps you to avoid processed food, which in turn helps you to reduce waste like plastic waste because all these processed foods are in plastic wrappers and stuff and so I felt like when I changed after my experience in Zambia and I came back and changed my eating lifestyle it kind of at the same time I decided to like start reducing my waste but they kind of they just go hand in hand Um, because when you eat real food you're not having all this plastic wrap stuff. And, you know, I was just telling my friend that I think it's, it's very difficult to avoid eating junk food and non-food it because it's so convenient yeah. and because it just, some of it tastes so darn good. Yeah. And, but when you have a strong, I realize that my strong conviction about plastic and, and waste in general is the own is the primary thing that keeps me eating real food because I don't want to buy this junk food, even though I love it and it tastes good. I don't want to buy it because I have a, I'm, I feel like I have a guilty conscience with all this waste that I create. And so they really go hand in hand. Um, and so, you know, following this idea, it just will help you be healthier and be more effective in, be more effective in the field and also just reduce your waste. And on that note, I'm still using the same trash bag that 
I had when I moved to Texas over a year ago. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> it's still not full. So Very cool. Yep. I'm proud of that. Yeah. It's a win-win, win, win-win for everybody. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So. So in closing, if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you as always. So feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, we're at Conservation Chronicles under both. And of course, our email, as usual, conservationchronicles at gmail.com. Send us any messages or any comments. If you have any stories, if you know, I'm sure you guys have some really cool, interesting stories about field work, um, whether it was, you know, an emergency situation or anything or you know, if you have anything to add to this topic, um, we would love to hear from you and, and we'll share your stories, you know, in, in a following episode. Um, so yes, please do share with us. And you can also visit our website at conservationchronicles.podbean.com, uh, where you can also listen to more episodes. And um, if you want to rate and review us on your podcast platform, please do so. So just so we know how we're doing and... Yeah, so any comments are welcome. And I also just, I've been meaning to do this for a long time and I haven't, but I just want to give a shout out to Mariana for editing all of our episodes. Whether <laughs> she's been in the episode or not, she spends time doing that. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Th 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 that's all, folks. <laughs> 